Hey everyone, welcome to the Desuckify Work Podcast. Our guest today is Joe Palm. Joe is a big proponent of something that he calls practical servant leadership. Now you may have heard the term servant leadership, but the addition of that single word makes a really big difference. It makes it a lot more accessible, in my opinion. We get into a lot during the show, but first I'd like to thank Joe for being vulnerable about his early life and his upbringing. Um, it's pretty powerful and it's a real gift when somebody opens up like that. So thank you, Joe. Building on that, we talk about how one simple question from an early boss changed the trajectory of Joe's life. We also talk about Agile, which is something I've actually had a negative reaction to over the years, perhaps because, as Joe says, most people are doing it wrong. And we talk about the measurable business value of fun and play at work. Joe's big on measurement, and I think CEOs are as well. We also talk about swallows, those cool birds who create these awesome formations, and we talk specifically about how they create these really incredible formations that look like bunnies. Um, and we talk about how that's not quite as adorable as it sounds. I hope you enjoy all of it. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Well, welcome everybody to the Desuckify Work podcast. Today we have as our guest Joe Palm. Welcome, Joe. Hi there. Great to see you. Well, Joe, Great before we, we dive into the world of desuckification, I'd love to to give people who are listening a chance to just get to know who you are. So, tell us a little bit about what you're doing these days and and how you came to be doing it. All right. Well, thanks, TJ, and it's just great to be here. Nice. Uh, so thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I uh, what I'm doing now is uh, I've kind of come to the point in my career where I'm trying to focus on the things that uh, that I can do something about that I think will have the most impact mm -hmm. on work, okay. um, rather than just the day to day uh, drudgery of doing something or in a role or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've learned a lot in my career. I've been in I've been in a, mostly IT for over forty years and. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff and I've seen a lot of things and I know what works and what doesn't. And so um, I'm really focusing now on uh, practical servant leadership. Hmm. Uh, that's my thing. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Tell us more and, about and, that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I've uh, been a practicing servant leadership basically uh, all my career uh, that started in 1982, 1983. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, over the last several years, uh, I have been more involved in formal training and course design around mm -hmm. and workshops um, around that and making it practical. And one of my pet peeves has been uh, leaders and teams who have heard that they're supposed to be tracking to it, but mm -hmm. don't really understand it. And it's just all vapor and ethereal, and uh, they just really have no idea how to make it practical. And mm -hmm. they're not being equipped to do so. I have literally sat in servant leadership training sessions where the first thing that all that the executives uh, participating were asked to do was take some deep breaths and get centered. <laughs> and if it's one thing I've learned in working with executives, they hardly have time to go to the bathroom, let alone yeah. take deep breaths and get centered. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. So um, I, I, it really started bothering me because servant leadership has such an incredible opportunity or uh, to have a huge impact on business outcomes and mm. team engagement on so, on so many levels. So, um, but yet they weren't really being equipped. So I thought, well, I'm going to do something about it. Mm. So that's what I'm working on. I'm writing a book right now. 
Nice. The title uh, is uh, Practical Servant Leadership, How mm -hmm. to Cut the Crap and Turn It Into a Power Tool for Your Team. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. And uh, and I'm also launching uh, a business to do um, executive uh, and leadership works workshops, two-day mm -hmm. workshops, um, anywhere in the world, uh, wherever I needed to do this to help translate servant leadership into actionable things that can immediately uh, impact business outcomes and uh, team engagement and all those kind of things. So uh, I'm not about uh, sitting around contemplating the navel. Uh, I am about let's get to work and let's make this work for us. I like um, that. So anyway, those are some of the things I'm doing. Um, yeah, it's cool. I yeah. mean, I, I, I think it's interesting when you mention the term servant leadership, it's one of those terms where I think almost everybody's heard that term. Yeah. But yep. But my guess is, is if you ask 10 people, you'd probably get 10 different definitions around it. And, and they'd all yeah. be probably closer to that sort of navel gazing thing you talked about or the deep yeah. breaths or ethereal, like in my head, I'm just like servant leadership. Okay, sounds good. Like be more of a servant, but then what? You know, yeah, so right. when yeah. you when you smack the word practical in front of it, it it immediately does something to how I hear it. You know, suddenly I'm like, okay, practical servant leadership. Now it's like, there must be something more behind that. And, and, yeah. and I guess the question is, what is it? What's what's really making it practical for people? Yeah. Okay. So um, there's a lot of things. Um, so first of all, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of power tools to help mm -hmm. people strengthen trust immediately. I mean, mm -hmm. we can get into this if you like at some point, but um, mm -hmm. it, it's about it's about strengthening trust. It's about forgiveness, mm -hmm. which is a huge thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, it's about empathy. It's about building community, strengthening engagement, providing an environment of psychological safety. All those things are wrapped up. And mm -hmm. the leaders that have heard of those things often understand those things, but they just really don't know how to make it practical. And mm -hmm. so that's what I am helping with. Um, yeah. So uh, I hope that answers your question. I think it does. I mean, I, I think even just putting some 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 language around it and things like, you know, forgiveness, which is an interesting word in this in this context. I mean, uh, creating safety, psychological safety for people. Yeah. You know, I think my 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 hunch is is that there's even a layer deeper there, meaning okay, I'm a, I'm a CEO or I'm a leader of an organization or a team and I'm wanting to, to bring a servant leadership approach to the work I do. And it's like, okay, you need to create psychological safety. My question might be either, I think I do that, or if I don't do that, how yeah. would I do that? You know, are there certain things, is that where, I mean, is that where things like forgiveness and empathy and some of that start to come into play? Yeah, it is. And uh, there's also some very practical um, things that uh, executives can do to really get into that space and really start serving their teams more effectively. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing has to do with the simple question, you know, where, like when, when people say, where do I start? It's mm -hmm. simple. How can I help? Mm. Um, there's also a term called Gimba, which means going to the real place. It means mm. you're getting your muck boots on and getting down in the trenches, rolling up your sleeves and not pontificating from mm -hmm. a soapbox or a place of uh, ivory tower-ness, if mm -hmm. you will. 
Um, yeah, and uh, like people, that. it kills so many birds with one stone by doing that because people will see that you have a commitment to them and really understanding what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And they will also see that you're investing time in understanding that and coming alongside them to help. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of dictators know how to keep um, the keep to transfer the risk and the control mm -hmm. to their team. You know, yeah. you guys are on the hook to do this, get it done. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. And the yeah. floggings will continue until morale improves. Exactly. We've all heard that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but what this, what, what a servant leader does is they retain the risk while relinquishing control to their team. Mm. And when they ask, how can I help? If the team member trusts that that's an honest question, the leader is likely to get an earful of things mm -hmm. that they can help with. It has to do typically with removing barriers. It has to do with clarifying business uh, requirements sometimes mm -hmm. or uh, removing blockers and working with other teams, things mm -hmm. like that. Wow. Um, yeah, and, and that that in itself can have a huge impact. Just a simple question of how can I help you can mm -hmm. have a huge impact on people far more than people realize. I, I mean, it's funny because before you said it, I was like, how do you do this thing? And then you said that one simple question. I'm like, oh, well, why am I not, why am I not immediately thinking of that? Because it seems so obvious, but yet it's yeah. almost like the way we are generally trained. And I don't mean literally trained because almost nobody gets trained how to be a leader these days, but I mean, yeah. trained by just sort of observing the world, or maybe we get our, our understanding of leadership from TV shows and movies and you know, yeah. and, and it's, we don't think of such a simple thing as to say, how can I help? And once you say that, um, I can think of it from both perspectives, meaning being somebody rising up before I really stepped into leadership roles, how uh, wonderful and empowering it would be to hear that, uh, especially like you said, if I, if I trust that it's coming from a good place. And then on the flip side, knowing that if I can just simply say that, to my team that they they will legitimately tell me where they need my help uh, yeah i mean it, i think i think that can be a real gift for for both sides and i think what's interesting too is when when we're in the workspace and we're we're trying to do stuff it's like i think as a leader we often forget that the people who are on our teams don't always know what we know Meaning, you know, so what seems obvious when we request something, we think, well, you have all the context, don't you? And it's like, no, they don't have all the context. And sometimes some of that is the simple things that might come out when you say, how can I help? They go, well, why are we doing that? Or where did that come from? And how does that connect to the thing we were talking about last week? And you've already connected those dots, but it gives you that opportunity to share the context that is missing, I think, in 90% of the conversations between leaders and their teams. Does that connect for you? Yeah, it does. Um, and uh, what I think a lot of leaders need to understand more and more, and this is kind of proliferating more among uh, the executive strata, is mm -hmm. the idea that we operate in a complex adaptive system. Mm -hmm. uh, think a bunch of swallows f flying in formation with hundreds of thousands of them mm -hmm. uh, seeming to like make letters in the sky, you know, mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, bunnies, you know, for forming bunnies or something like that. Yeah. And they're flying information. And uh, the, the reality is that they are 
uh, trying to evade peregrine falcons that are coming in to have lunch. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, the scientists have studied this. And one of the things that's um, that's really uh, important about that is that they are all obeying micro, you know, instructions from the group that are happening at the microsecond level. Hmm. And that's why they are flying in formation. But when you try to look at that and say, hey, you know, I can manage that, that group of uh, swallows mm -hmm. or whatever, um, it, it's delusional to say yeah. that, you mm -hmm. know. And so if we are in a complex adaptive system, by the way, a complex system is like a Swiss watch. It, mm -hmm. It's not an organic thing. Complex mm -hmm. adaptive system is organic. And mm -hmm. we are in an organic, complex adaptive system with everything changing all the time all around us. Mm -hmm. And it's impossible to do dictatorial autocratic leadership in that context, because mm -hmm. any instructions you bark out to a team uh, the next day, they're they're just it's not going to be as valid because mm -hmm. things have changed. Mm -hmm. so what becomes very important is that you have the humility as a leader to realize that and to transfer control to your team while you retain the risk and that you shift your focus to serving and supporting the team. So to answer your question about um, what you do to create psychological safety, mm -hmm. uh, TJ, one of the things, I, I, I say it in the, in the opposite. Uh, I, I will tell leaders, all you have to do to make sure your teams never innovate, never have psychological safety, or never innovate, mm -hmm. is make sure they don't feel safe to push back on leaders, mm -hmm. that they mm -hmm. never feel safe to do that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, make sure they're too busy um, all the time to even think about how they might improve or innovate. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so, so if yeah. you take that and you look at the inverse of that, mm -hmm. those are some things that uh, people will know based on their culture and their operations. They will usually come up with some good ideas on what to do to help encourage innovation and psychological safety. But yeah. Google did, they, they did a multi-year research project on uh, how to consistently create very high performing teams and what they concluded and quantified over a five-year study was that the number one attribute to create and strengthen and protect on a team to make them very high performing is psychological safety. Mm. It's interesting when you say that and what you said before, you know, the safety to, to kind of challenge my thinking as the leader. I mean, yeah. again, it's, it sounds like once you say it, it's like, well, well, yeah, but I think there's such an innate fear of allowing yourself to sort of be vulnerable like that as a leader, because yeah. the the systems we've currently put in place, which I would say are, you know, the the not servant leader systems, um, they they don't necessarily reward that vulnerability, right? Yeah. It's like you you get rewarded for looking good as much yeah. as anything. And, and to be vulnerable and to have your team going, well, I don't understand that, or I don't necessarily agree with what you just said there. Here's an alternative way of thinking about it. Yeah. Um, that shows up as weakness in the, the non-servant leader, uh, you know, paradigm. And, yeah. and I think, you know, the big question that some people might say is how do you start to shift that paradigm? How do you start to um, allow people no matter where their current system is, you know, I think of the, you know, the person who uh, maybe takes your training and they go, this is wonderful. And I know there's a handful of people 
that may agree that it's wonderful, but maybe I work for a, a dictator, right? Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and I don't quite know how to take this and wedge it into the space that I currently occupy. What's, what's your advice to somebody like that? In that yeah. Well, well there, yeah, there's a few things uh, along that line. And I've, I've uh, worked with dozens and dozens of teams over the years where that's exactly what the kind of things that they were saying, that was their narrative and their mm -hmm. laundry. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, in the, in, in all the servant leadership classes, I've, I've facilitated and conversations I facilitated around that. Uh, usually, it's I would say it's inevitable that at the end, you know, when we're asking for final questions, someone says, yeah, this is all great. But, you know, I work for a dictator, so, mm. you know, it, I can't do anything. Well, right. that's not true. That mm. is absolutely not true, because what they can do is they can focus on the things they can control. OK, mm -hmm. and which is a lot more than often the, what they realize mm -hmm. they can manage up. And they can actually help convince their dictator autocratic leaders that uh, getting uh, pivoting to servant leadership and having more empathy and listening more effectively, creating a culture of psychological safety, all those things, they can actually do that in the trenches with their team. They don't mm -hmm. have to raise their hand and say, hey, leader, guess what? We're going against your autocratic dictatorial style. <laughs> all right. They can just do it, you mm -hmm. know, and they can, they can show the business outcomes from that. So the leaders need, can can take a look at uh, actual empirical data mm -hmm. around what has happened when the team pivoted to that, mm. and then that can help them get more on board. Yeah. Okay? So that's another thing, but but they can't really see themselves as the victim. Mm -hmm. They can't do that. In fact, another thing they need to realize is that if they work for an autocratic dictatorial leader, they're the ones giving those people the power. Mm. That's a, that's a, I think I understand that, but I also think some people might, might bristle at that, right? It's like, of course, how yeah. dare you say that I'm giving the power there. They're the bad guy. I I'm the good person here. So when you say that, I mean, what I heard you say before was part of it is if I can start to step into this space of being a servant leader myself, and that yeah. means whether I actually lead people or I'm starting with simply leading myself through that paradigm and then slowly starting to bring it to the team members I work with. And then even like you said, kind of managing up to, to my, my boss, that is how I can diffuse some of that power that they currently yeah. have, because inevitably they're going to see the, the dictator. They're going to go, what's going on down there? Why are yeah. those results so good? I don't see anybody screaming at each other. How'd you do that? Is that, is that yeah. how it eventually works? It, it can, that's one way. The mm -hmm. other thing is to come alongside the, 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 the dictator mm -hmm. and actually coach them mm. and come alongside them and say, Hey, we're going to help you do this. Mm. You might not know how to do this, but we have understood it. We've been through training. Mm -hmm. uh, we get it. We understand why we can tell you why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. And there are some very compelling reasons. And we'd like to ask that you, in, that, that you join us in an experiment. Mm. And this is where lean startup comes into play. Even if okay. you don't say lean startup or talk mm -hmm. about any frameworks, mm -hmm. you can say, you know, um, we think if we do this, this is what will result. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, hmm, 
well, team, what do we have to do to build something so that we can test that? Mm-hmm. Well, we need to do this. Okay, let's build it quick and and then we'll test it. Mm-hmm. And once you test it, huh, did it validate our hypothesis? Mm-hmm. Did it support our theory? Uh, if it if it did, you keep building. Um, yeah. You build on the shoulders of it. If mm-hmm. it didn't, just take it out back and shoot it. Start it over. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that framing. Um, you know, you used the word experiment and, you know, you talked about the world of lean startup, which I think some percentage of people will, will probably immediately latch on to that and go, great. I know that world. And then some yeah, people yeah. will be like, I don't know what that is. That's scary. And I think when you describe it as experimenting, that makes it really accessible. I know for me it does because yeah. I think whether I'm a leader or whether I'm somebody who's trying to bring this into the organization and kind of, you know, bring it up through the organization, um, it's a lot less scary to run an experiment than to say, we're going to completely turn this organization or team and flip it on its head. And and this is now a new way of being. It's like, no, this is a new way of being for the next X number of weeks. And if we don't like how that is, we'll be another way afterwards or we'll adapt and we'll, we'll layer onto it. And I think much, you know, you come back to that term safety, there's a much safer way of bringing this kind of change into an organization versus sort of the threat of like everything you knew up until now is gone. Oh yeah. God, I don't want that. Yeah. You know, so I, right. I love and, that. And, yeah. And, and, um, and the reason it feels safer is because it is a very powerful tool to mitigate risk. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly the leader's mindset. They mm-hmm. are hunting for risk all the time. Like, yeah. uh, like you'd be hunting for a murderer hiding in your home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's their mentality. Yeah. And so if you approach them with something that is an experiment rather than we're going to boil the ocean and throw it over the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, it, it becomes much more doable. And then you have, you can even alternate champions on the team who try experiments, but mm-hmm. make sure not to try too many things at once. Yeah. Like you might start with just a simple thing, you know, mm-hmm. and then just try it. And mm-hmm. that's why um, it's important to capture these ideas uh, in some kind of a mechanism that you have for your team. For mm-hmm. example, uh, one of the things I've done with teams is have a Kanban board. And mm-hmm. uh, what? And by the way, uh, in the Agile world, it is common to do a retrospective every okay. three weeks or every four weeks. And it's everybody getting together and say, hey, uh, what do we need to keep doing? What do we need to start doing? What do mm-hmm. we need to stop doing? Mm-hmm. And the problem I had spinning my wheels with my peers whenever I've in any company I've been an agile coach at is that they think it's all about just having the cool, sexy tools and happy tools um, uh, to capture ideas in the retrospective idea or in, in the retrospective session. Okay. And what I've contended is that that's not how humans work. Mm-hmm. Uh, an aha idea or a light bulb idea only has the shelf life of about a day and a half, science mm-hmm. tells us. Mm-hmm. So if someone has a great idea and then two weeks later, they go mm-hmm. to a retrospective and they're saying, hey, do you have any ideas in the last two weeks? Uh, uh, let's see, I had to go get lunch. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had to go to the bathroom. Um, got nothing. Can yeah. I go back to work, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, uh, so so you capture it and mm-hmm. then you formally manage it. And I have this thing um, called the five C's and it's uh, okay. really simple. 
But basically, mm -hmm. the idea is um, you cap you you have a Kanban board, and the first column is capture. Anybody, mm -hmm. just capture it. That okay. doesn't mean you're going to own it or have to present it, because some people that are brilliant would break out in hives if they had to present something. Mm -hmm. And some people that are not as brilliant would have to break out in hives if they had to think of an idea. Mm -hmm. But they I need, love to, I need to, to ask you a quick question, just yeah, because I'm not sure everybody will know a Kanban board. Can you help, oh, yeah. okay, sure, help sure. clarify what that is before we yeah, go? Okay. Yeah. okay, well, I th everybody's seen one. Uh, mm -hmm. It's basically just um, a board with columns along, like vertical mm -hmm. columns, mm -hmm. and then you're moving work across workstations, Got it. if you will, okay. on little yep. cards. Mm -hmm. That's a yep. It means okay. visual card. It's a Japanese cool. term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So, and it was invented by Taichi Ono um, in the 1940s, who was was a pioneering industrial engineer for Toyota. In mm -hmm. fact, everybody that makes cars in the world now is standing on the shoulders of Taichi Ono. Oh, wow. Okay. From Toyota. Okay. That's how influential he was. But mm -hmm. he proved that Kanban is the most optimal way of getting work done in a mm -hmm. process. He okay. proved it. Okay. And I, my, my experience bears that out. But basically, in the first column, everybody just captures something, captures mm -hmm. an idea. It doesn't even have to be more formal. It doesn't right. have to be a lot of information. Just capture it. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is when you get to your retrospective, you collaborate over it. Mm -hmm. That's it. And then you move over to collaborate, and you're talking about it with your team. The next one is, okay, we decided to construct this. We're going to try mm -hmm. it. Construct, mm -hmm. it. construct, construct. You know, yep. you can document stuff about its status. But it's mm -hmm. all clear in the status because it's on your Kanban board under the yep. construction mm -hmm. Then when you are done with constructing and trying it, then you move it to calibrate, which means we're going to measure what happened. If you constructed okay. it and ran it. Mm -hmm. And then the final one is celebrate. Now, here's mm -hmm. what's important. You don't just celebrate things that you implemented. You celebrate also the things you did not implement. Oh, nice. Because the team thought about it, and now you know what doesn't work. I mean, mm -hmm. Edison was asked, I, a lot of you will know this, but he was asked, well, geez, you have a 900 failures trying to come up with a light bulb filament. And he says, no, I didn't. I, yeah. I'm, I'm successful. I found 900 things that don't work. I'm mm -hmm. that much closer. To what does? Oh uh, man, I, I love that story. I, I I have heard that story, but it's a nice reminder, and it's it's another reminder, I think, of where a lot of work cultures are, are struggling. Because on the one hand, you have a, almost everybody uses this word innovation, right? We need yeah. innovation, um, and then on the other hand, you have this sort of legacy uh, attribute of the culture, which is failure is bad. And, and yeah. I don't know, that might come back, this might go back all the way to like initial assembly lines and like you were trying to minimize failure rates yeah. because all you were doing yeah. was trying to get, you know, the raw materials into a thing and every time it failed, it cost me more money. So yeah. failure was bad, but you can't have real innovation no. if you don't have those 900 and whatever, you know, failures along the way, you know, getting right. it wrong until you get it right. And so I love the concept, one, of, of celebrating all of that, because I think yeah. that immediately will create a massive cultural shift. Um, yes. and, and, I, and I love sort of the simplicity of that 5C process. Um, but I, I think about all of that. And then I think, you know, there, there's one element here that I feel like that I, I want to bring into this discussion around innovation that that comes up a lot for, for, for me when I talk about, you know, how to desuckify work. And I think it's starting to come out in the, in the zeitgeist in terms of its effect on work in general, and that's play, right? Yeah. We, 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 
we we used to think, and I think again, this is the legacy of a hundred years of sort of uh, industrial age work styles that yeah. play meant you were screwing around, you know, yeah. get back to work, kind of a yeah. thing. If if you look like you're having fun, and mm -hmm. It's the flip now, right? I mean, right now, yeah. it's almost like if you're not having fun, I should be pointing at you and saying, get to work, right? Yeah. Because, because play brings that, the, the innovation to life. Can you, can you kind of talk yeah. a little more about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, so um, I have a book that I am a huge advocate of. I'm going to hold it up here. It's mm. called, um, and if you can see it, uh, not, not so much. It's struggling with focus, but uh, okay. uh, alive. Live work. at work. Okay. By Daniel Cable. Yeah. Nice. Great book. I've facilitated several work uh, or book clubs around this book uh, mm -hmm. over the years, but um, it's pretty awesome because he starts the book with a quote he saw in a London tube station as graffiti. And it said, I wonder what my soul does all day while I am at work. Oof. That, <laughs> that, hits, that hits so close, right? I mean, yeah. you can, yeah. I think anybody, even if you've had a generally good experience at work throughout your life, there are moments when that's super true. And then for others, it's yeah. always true. Yeah. And so what they do is they segregate or we tend to segregate work from the, our, our lives, mm -hmm. from our real lives. Uh -huh. Oh, now we have to go to work, you know, yeah. and work's going to suck. And mm -hmm. I just got to go through it and punch the clock and look over my shoulder and, oh, gee, is it coffee break already? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, yeah. anyway, you do that kind of thing. But um, in this book, uh, seriously, uh, he basically provides a very compelling argument and he backs it up with neuroscience. Uh, mm. By the way, the subtitle of it is the neuroscience of helping your people love what they do. Mm. And, like he, and, and a, a very complimentary book, by the way, is by Daniel Coyle called The Culture Code. Mm. Peter okay. Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Well, then mm -hmm. why do we have 5 billion strategic thingies going on and nobody's really addressing culture, right? Yeah. Okay, so what Daniel Cable is talking about is that we have a neuroscientific need to play and to innovate. Hmm. And so what I would suggest in thinking more about that is that if while a, an adult with a small child goes to the playground, and buries their nose in their cell phone while they're keeping their ears open for cries of pain for, from their child. Uh, mm -hmm. What's happening with a child is that they are innovating. Hmm. If you think about it, because okay. they're having to in, inter, interact with a new group of people. It's not going to be the same kids that were there yesterday. Mm -hmm. And they're having to figure it out. They're having to problem solve. They're having to overcome they're expending energy on things that are risky and are mm -hmm. kind of a rush for them. Mm -hmm. And they're experiencing small victories and they're learning what works and what doesn't. And they're pivoting in their mind not to make sure to fall off the merry ground because I'll puke <laughs> if I'm going too fast. Okay? Yeah, except for the All one kid who on. loves to make himself puke and he goes around it even faster next time. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's another <laughs> But that's learning that's too. Issue. That's yeah, learning right. too, I suppose. Yeah, that is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I learned something. I learned yeah. that I like to puke. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the, but the reality is that uh, the parent is probably oblivious to that. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and they're just thinking, oh, it's just play. I mean, this is just just like you know, uh, wasted time for me 
or mm-hmm. just something that, you know, it's fluff time for the kid. It is not fluff time for the kid. In mm-hmm. fact, it's interesting. Years ago, there was a, uh, a bunch of sociologists that did a study on um, trying to find, to crack the code of what made geniuses, geniuses, and what mm-hmm. was common to all of them. They couldn't figure it out because all these people came from different socioeconomic classes. They came mm-hmm. from different cultures, different countries, different educational backgrounds and levels. Mm-hmm. They couldn't figure it out. And then they started looking at their work and how they approached their work. Mm-hmm. And then they figured it out. The bottom line of their study was that the only commonality we found is that they had all retrained themselves to have the discipline to think again like a child. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, it, it's, it's fascinating because, again, I think, you know, you can see this all the way from the way a lot of our schooling is designed all the way then through the way work works currently. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's almost like we've set up the perfect system to eliminate that ability to play and innovate from yeah. our, from our brains, from our souls, from all of it. Right. And, yeah. and, and what a shame. I mean, like, it is. Not, not simply like people might be like, well, you want to play cause it's fun. Well, well, well yeah, I do. But yeah. I also know that when I do play, you know, I am innovating and I am, I am coming up with the kinds of ideas that, that will help our organization succeed. Or if you take it outside of work, it will help me succeed in my life and just figure yep. out a better way to do things. So, um, right. How and, do we... and by the way, by the way, TJ, yeah. uh, something, a really powerful quote I heard on this is from Dr. Stuart Brown who is the founder of an organization that I didn't even know existed. It's called the National Institute for Play. Mm. All right. And and he's the founder, and he said the opposite of play is not work. The opposite of play is depression. Mm. And that really backs up what Daniel uh, Cable's trying to say in his book. Mm-hmm. Daniel Cable said he gave examples in his book, but one, but a cup, but he said that um, some of the best known technology solutions in the world that we know of today mm-hmm. came out of teams where the leader just told them go off and play for a couple of days. Mm. That's literally the only guidance he gave, he or she gave. Wow. So just go play. Mm. I, I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. And that's probably because I, I've been fortunate to work in an industry where, although it hasn't always been encouraged, I worked in advertising for most of my career. Um, you definitely experienced some of that. You, you just had yes. moments where you realized, like, if you sat there, like, butting heads, like, trying to, like, come up with some new idea, nothing happens. But then yeah. you just, like, you just kind of get loose and you play. And maybe for a minute, you're, you're not, you know, for minutes at a time, you're not even remotely thinking about the thing you're supposed to be thinking about but it's it's sort of percolating in the back of your brain and then when you come back to it it's like suddenly it looks different to you you know and it's just again it's like i i imagine you know most people you know if you're listening to this right now and you you go okay i'm gonna go into my team and say just spend a couple of days just kind of playing you know yeah I think most people would go, you're crazy. I can't do that. Like yeah. how, 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 you know, how would that look? Or, 
you know, what would my, my boss say, you yeah. know? So what, what I start to think of is how do we, how do we bring this into places and give them the permission and give them the, the confidence that, that this is going to work? I mean, how do you, you know, when you yeah. talk about some of the things that you do in terms of some of the work you do, how do you, how do you get people to go, oh, I can do that? Yeah, well, you start by making it practical. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, um, when I was um, a trainer and course designer at a Fortune 4 company, mm -hmm. I would uh, sometimes get into arguments with my peers uh, over uh, the issue of how do you design a, a training class or a course. Mm -hmm. And what I did in my business transformations of teams and optimization, as well as my course courses or classes that I designed, is mm -hmm. I started with visuals and practical things. Mm. I started with that and then went to the, um, I went to uh, then the principles and theory later mm -hmm. because then they had something they could hang on to, hang, hang mm. it on to. Yeah. Uh, and they understood it visually. Uh, like I'm fond of saying, um, I didn't get a master's in physics before I got on my bicycle the first time, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, so that's how people learn. In fact, I started doing that about 10 years ago after I listened to an interview of a neuroscientist who was an expert on human learning and had written mm -hmm. several books. And mm -hmm. she said, our education and training systems are all wrong mm -hmm. because they start with principles and theory, blah, 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 wah, wah, wah. Mm -hmm. And they, then they move to practical and visual. Mm -hmm. So she said, that's not how the human brain works. Mm -hmm. So, so that's why I start with practical. And then it's like, hey, we, we gamify it, you know, mm. and we try it. And when I coach teams, one of the first things I'll do to kind of break through the intimidation of this guy's going to come in and audit us or what's the deal or you yeah. coach or what the heck, you know, we don't mm -hmm. need a coach. The first thing I, I say to them is, hey, you guys, you know what? The, I, I, the only thing I can guarantee to you, to you right now, you know, as this is my first meeting with you, is mm -hmm. that I will give you advice that sucks. Okay. And that's why I need you to coach me on how things work around here. Mm. Okay. And, 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 and if you, if I start getting you off the rails and something and something doesn't work and you're really concerned about what I'm any counselor or advice I'm giving you, mm -hmm. slap me, just tell me, Hey, Joe, come on. No, that doesn't work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. The second thing I tell them to kind of cut through the intimidation factor and mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, Dilbert says change is good. You go first. <laughs> exactly. I, I cut through that by saying to them, and I have a very important job for you. First, if any advice I give you or anything we're going to experiment and try, mm -hmm. you have, you all, if you hear my voice now, you have a very important job to do in that. And your job is to suck at it. Okay. So that. the first thing is suck at it. And we're going to laugh at each other. We're going to learn some mm -hmm. stuff and we're going to keep improving. And we're mm. going to keep moving forward. Mm. Does that work for you? Yeah. And they're like, well, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah. It's, 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 it's interesting because even just hearing some of that language, and I, and I think right there, that was like a little mini course of, of how to step into leadership in a way that's different, right? Imagine if you showed up to your, your morning meeting or however you kind of connect with your team and, and yeah. you used some of this disarming language of like, you know, I'm going to give you some ideas that suck today because, yeah. you know, I'm not always in it with you, you know, right. and you need to tell me what's really going on there 
and then we'll get better and we'll work on it together. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And then that other, the flip side of that, like I'm giving you permission to suck also, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you can show up today and you can try things and you can be really bad at it. And yeah. guess what? I'm going to smile. We're all going to smile yeah. while that happens because that's eventually going to lead us to the stuff that doesn't suck. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like those two simple sentences immediately change the way I think about my day. Yeah. How hard, it's yeah. like, how hard is that? It's not hard at all. Right. right. Yeah. That's the beauty I think, yeah. of yeah. some of this approach is like you give people very, to use your word, practical. And I would also use maybe the word accessible um, yeah. tools, processes, um, you know, think experiments to try, Hey, walk into your office today and say this, say that, you know, you're going to suck today, whatever. Yeah. Like <laughs> just try it. Um, what, what a gift that is to give people some of that stuff. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I, I wanted to kind of get a little bit deeper into some of this servant leadership stuff that you're talking about. And, yeah. um, I wanted to just step back for a second and, and just kind of think like, how did you get here? Right? Like, because, you know, for a lot of us, we just kind of followed what we observed, right? Yeah. We observed things and we sort of, and maybe we have a little dollop of servant leadership in us, but, but we're not fully yeah. there. So were there any sort of aha moments for you that, that got you here? Or, or did you have to yeah. kind of scratch and claw your way into this, this space? Well, yeah, no, I, I had a very profound experience that was actually from a very simple uh, interaction that lasted mm. all of 30 seconds. Mm. Uh, yeah, when I was at work, I think it was back in uh, 1997, I'm going to say. Okay. And I was working for a Fortune 150 company. Mm -hmm. And um, I was a software developer at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was proficient in about 14 different development platforms. And uh, I, I worked for a lot of big companies, you know, going mm -hmm. around doing contract programming and stuff. Yep. And so um, I was at this company and I had a new manager. Her name was Barb. Mm -hmm. And she and she rolled up her ch a chair next to my cubicle. And she said, hi, Joe. And I said, oh, uh, hi, Barb. And she said, um, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, uh, geez, is there something I'm slipping on a deadline or some work I, I implemented wasn't right or it broke something or, mm -hmm. you know, I pissed someone off or I, I mean, that's where my, where my head was at. Yeah. When she said, how are you? Simple question. How are it's you? It's crazy. Right. I mean, right yeah. there. That's, that's yeah. like, but it's so relatable right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, I said, I'm doing pretty well. Um, and I, I was, I wanted to say, is something wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> And I, I was curious to see how she would proceed. And mm -hmm. she said, well, I just wanted to see if there is anything that you need from me or any way I can serve or support you. Mm. And I said, no, I can't think of anything right now, but if that changes, I'll let you know. Mm. And she said, okay, great. Anything else you want to talk about? And I said, no, I'm good. You know? And so she said, well, thanks. Thanks for your time. And she pulled, put, pushed the chair back to the table and she walked away. Wow. What she didn't know at the time is how deeply she had impacted me with mm. that simple question and that simple interaction. Mm -hmm. Because up to that time, all I'd heard of managers that I worked for was, are you done with that yet? What's mm -hmm. the problem? You know, mm -hmm. what, why, what, what happened with that thing you broke? 
mm-hmm. you know, or uh, you're really needing to take this on too. And I know you don't have time for it, but we need you to do this thing as well. And mm-hmm. yeah, I guess I'm going to have to ask you to work the weekend. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a very, <laughs> and, uh, very office space vibe to it. Yeah. The TPS report, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but, but seriously, um, she has no idea how mm. deeply that impacted me because mm-hmm. um, what she didn't know is that I had a horribly abusive childhood. Mm. I can't even count all the times on my fingers and toes that I thought I was going to be killed by my mother or my stepfather all before the age of 15. Oh, wow. And uh, I have no idea to this day why I wasn't rescued and put in a foster home. Okay. Mm. I really have no idea. I I was definitely a candidate. I was on first name basis with all the police people as we moved around. Mm. Um, And I learned a mantra that was hammered into me. Three things. Uh, First of all, I was a piece of crap. Mm. Secondly, nobody cared what I thought. And third, I would never amount to anything. So by the time I was 16, I became suicidal. I didn't want to get out of bed. Um, But uh, then at that point, uh, to make a long story short, I ended up buying a Bible and reading it and was blown away and I became a follower of Jesus. Mm. And my faith journey continues to this day. Mm -hmm. Um, But I have seen how impactful uh, as I try to translate that into the work environment without even getting religious with people, Mm -hmm. um, the principles are are powerful and profound. Mm-hmm. And they are universally uh, applicable. Mm-hmm. And all this without even talking about spirituality or religion or anything. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so uh, I have thanked Barb, Barb Shragi, mm-hmm. uh, for that conversation and how oh, deeply nice. it impacted me. It changed the trajectory of my career. I thought, wow, she's a project manager. If, if she can impact people like she just did me, I want to be a project manager. And mm-hmm. I ended up becoming a project and program manager and doing oh, wow. a lot of large scale uh, programs and projects for large companies. Hmm. There, there's, there's so much in that. I mean, first off, you know, thank you for, for sharing some of the, the stuff about your childhood, because yeah. obviously that's, that's some really heavy stuff. And I think, um, but it obviously informed how you initially, yes, you know, were showing up in the world as you were starting to become an adult. And obviously you know, the, the, the faith journey kind of allowed you to find a different way of looking through the yeah, world. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like, you know, when you met Barb, she, she, she was an embodiment of a lot of those principles for you where, where maybe, you yeah. know, you weren't feeling them as much. And suddenly it was like, here is this perfect example of somebody. And again, this, this could be true no matter what spiritual yeah. connectivity you've got in your system. Yep. It's more just like, what is your your operating system at that point? Yeah. And Barb yeah. showed you a, a way of being at work um, that that impacted you. And what I love about it is not only the, the sort of profoundness of it, but I, the, it comes back to the simplicity and the practicalness of that. So like, if, if you're saying to somebody who again is like, I don't know if I can make this kind of a change, or I don't know if I can make this kind of an impact. And then you recognize how much of an impact one question with one follow-up statement, you know, but a question basically, how are you doing and how can I support you? Yes. 
it changed the trajectory of your life. And, and maybe yeah. we don't necessarily expect that to be true with everything we say, but we can certainly expect that if we show up with that kind of mindset and that kind of uh, humility to the people we work with, that simply speaking like that can have at least a profound impact for the day. And, yeah, and you, you yeah. start to repeat that behavior over time. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, kind of coming back to the, the theme of this show, you know, this is how you can start to desuckify work, which can sound yeah. daunting at first. Well, work yeah. sucks yeah. and there's so many problems. It's like, but, but you do have this power, you as an individual to show up with, with, with a mindset of being this, this more servant uh, minded person. Yeah. It just takes a few words. It and, does. And the, and the other thing, yes. And remember also in that, uh, the catalyst for getting in and learning and pivoting to this from mm -hmm. executives who think, I, I hear this all the time. Well, um, my leadership style got me to be an mm -hmm. executive. Why should I pivot now? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. we have a lot of empirical data telling us why it's good to pivot now. Because mm -hmm. servant leadership is an unbelievably powerful thing for business outcomes. In mm -hmm. fact, if you focus on focus on your teams and strengthening their engagement, mm -hmm. even if you increase their levels of engagement by 20%, mm -hmm. you reduce attrition and attrition, attrition costs by 18%, mm. you increase sales by 4%, and mm -hmm. you increase profit by 8%. Wow. 20% change. Mm. And the, the fact that there's a difference between sales and profit, 4% sales and 8% profit, mm -hmm. it really speaks to the productivity impact mm -hmm. yeah. it has on your mm -hmm. team. And so um, there's a lot of compelling reasons why, why executives should pivot to this, and they're, they're quantified, and we have a lot of data on this. So, um, yeah. it, but it's hard. It, it is a hard pivot. That's mm -hmm. why the experiments are very important. And mm -hmm. here, can I, can I share one just practical thing for executives? Sure. Okay. Please. It has to do with, um, with probing questions. Um, mm -hmm. I Googled this after being trained on this back in 1999 by mm -hmm. some world-class sales trainers when mm -hmm. I was a co-founder of a very successful technology startup company. Um, and um, I went to this world-class sales training class. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, basically, uh, this guy... This guy taught us, he said, um, anybody can come to a meeting with someone with a bunch of questions, just the machine gun approach. Mm -hmm. We've all heard it on the radio where mm -hmm. an interviewer pivots to question number two that has nothing to do with what they were just talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it's because they're doing the machine gun thing, which is a very disengaging thing mm -hmm. to do. Okay. Uh, people will start looking at their watch and then they'll stop giving you a lot of information. Because they just realize it's not really a conversation. Yep. Okay, but the probing question uh, approach is where you ask a question, question one, mm -hmm. then they ask, they answer something. You pick up on something they said in that answer, mm -hmm. and you ask a probing question off of that. Mm -hmm. They say more. Now you, you, you pick up on something they just said in that answer. Mm -hmm. And you ask another probing question mm. and you can go several layers deep before you get to question number two and yeah. change the topic. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's going to happen is that intuitively without subconsciously often the person that's being asked these questions is thinking, crap, there is no way they could have asked that question if they weren't listening to me. 
Mm. <laughs> now I yeah. feel listened to. I feel mm-hmm. respected. I feel valued. Now I'm going to just open the floodgates. And yeah. That's what happens. Okay. Oh, I so I tried this technique on a guy that I was in business development at the time. I mm-hmm. tried it with Jim from Crown Petroleum in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, what, what happened is uh, he had been avoiding me at conferences mm-hmm. because he didn't want to talk to me and I was just a sales guy or whatever, you know, uh-huh. but uh, it was funny because I'd see him and we'd be at the bar having a drink or something and he'd, and I'd come over to him and I'd say, Jim, all I got to do is hear no, I'm not hearing no. Yeah. And he would just go rah, 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 and he'd like to walk away. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, I, 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 when I, when I learned this technique in this class, I thought I'm going to call Jim. I'm going to try this on Jim mm-hmm. because I knew he was very evasive with me. Yeah, and I knew he'd be a good candidate for this for trying for the experiment. Mm-hmm. So I called him. Hey Jim, this is Joe Palm. Oh, uh, who? I said Joe Palm from this company. He goes, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, Joe. What you got? I said, Well, I just have some questions for you. You got a little bit of time? Oh, um, well, I guess I got about ten minutes. What's up? You know, Baltimore East Coast. Like, what's your mm-hmm. point? Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so I, I started asking him questions and I did the probe and question thing. Mm-hmm. And 45 minutes later, um, he had done 90% of the talking. Hmm. And I'll never forget what he told me. He said, damn, Joe, you understand this industry better than anybody I've ever talked with. Can you come <laughs> out and make a sales presentation? To my <laughs> <team?"> <laughs> I love that. It's, so, it's a... so the reason I'm sharing that is because it's a very practical tool for mm-hmm. executives or leaders to go and learn to listen to their team and get mm-hmm. information to help yeah. them lead and then help them get out of the way and support their team. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny how easy again that is, but yet it can have that profound impact, right? Because it's like you yeah. turned you turned a guy who was ready to basically he had his finger on the hangout button. Yeah. You know, and then suddenly he 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 thinks you are, you know, the genius yeah. of his world because you just simply listened to him. Right. You know what yes. I mean? And uh-huh. uh and you didn't, you know, you didn't fight him. Um yeah. you know, and that's such a big gift. And I I think this this combination of like giving people very simple practical things, asking probing questions, just showing up next to somebody, being next to them, being with them and asking them simply like, how can I help? those kinds of things, um, combined with the fact that you've got some data to back it up. Because I think those are the the two key links here is one, the cost of entry is easy. Just try some experiments, yeah. ask some probing questions, ask somebody if how can I help? And then over yeah. here, it's like, by the way, the people who have experimented with this, here's what it does. So it, if there's any hesitation to even try an experiment, it's like, well, all right, I'm at least intrigued. Somebody's done yeah, this yeah. and it's worked. So I'm at least going to try an experiment. And, right. and that, to me, again, coming back to this whole idea of how do we change this world of work when it can feel so daunting, uh, I think that's a beautiful framework is one, there are people who are doing it and they've had some success. And yeah. there's this just toolbox filled with these, as you call them, power tools to just yeah. go in and try one, pick one out, try it. Yeah. It might not be the right one for you, then try another one. And it's, yeah. it makes it so easy um, so that instead of like, how do I get my employees to engage, which sounds like, you know, a crushing question almost to, yeah. to a leader. Yeah. It's more like, yeah. yeah, it's like, no, just 
just walk up to the next five people you see and, and say, how can I help? Yes. Yeah, what right. happens. And that's yep. like, it, you, you, you make it so accessible um, through that process that, I don't know, I, I know for me, the more I hear you talk about it in this, this idea of practical servant leadership, I'm sitting here going, well, I, I want to do that. I want to yeah. embody that more. It doesn't cost me anything, um, mm -hmm. you know, and it sounds like it has some potential to do, do some good, well, you know, why not? You know, yeah. so wherever yeah. I have the chance, like I want to step into it. Um, we, we've covered a lot of ground here, Joe, and, 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 and I want to just kind of come back to a couple of final questions. One of which is simply knowing what, you know, doing what you do, are you optimistic about the future of work and, and, and our ability to desuckify it? Well, I, I am uh, to an extent because practically speaking, I think we have um, a lot of a lot of people who are like my age or maybe a little older mm -hmm. learned autocratic dictatorial leadership styles and those mm -hmm. are baked into them. It's wired into their DNA. Yeah. And so um, you're a lot of them. You're not going to really change. And mm -hmm. a lot of them are frankly not going to want to change and, not, and see it as an encumbrance mm -hmm. and and really are not interested. Kind of like uh, to say, uh, you know, don't try to teach a pig to sing. You'll waste your time and you'll annoy the pig. <laughs> you know, and uh, you got to know where you're wasting your time and where you're not. But mm -hmm. I worked with a lot of leaders who started out seeming like they were hardened. And then as we talked and had a conversation and I coached them through it, they mm -hmm. were more willing to be vulnerable. By the way, there's a Awesome. There's an awesome 20 minute TED talk on vulnerability by Brene Brown mm -hmm. that I would encourage everybody listening to watch mm -hmm. with their significant other and then yeah. talk about it. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability is huge. Nice. The other reason I'm encouraged is because I think we have a new uh, generation of leaders rising up that mm -hmm. are tracking more to these things. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So, but still, they they can track more, but they still need to be equipped. They need the tools. You know? Yeah. They need the tools. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, that's and, yeah. And and one more thing about that quickly is hmm. I think leaders need to see, um, this is a little bit of an aside, but it's just going to be quick. Yeah. Leaders need to see that um taking their eye off the ball from strong business outcomes and having their team be the golf club mm -hmm. they use to get them is not and pivoting to focusing mm -hmm. on the team and serving the team, mm -hmm. that is not a distraction. They are not mm -hmm. taking their eye off the ball. In fact, they are now increasing the likelihood of getting the business outcomes that they want. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a shift of focus at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make because I think the, the skeptical leader will, will say, if I, if I do these things, uh, they, they sound soft and, and fluffy at first, but what I think as you've talked through it today, you, you've brought the practical side to it and you've brought that connective through line to how it ultimately leads to better yeah. results. So if you're, if you are a pure results driven person, this is the way to do it. It's, it's bring in practical servant leadership and recognize the value of fun in the workplace, because that's, that is the way to start to, to bring those, those results, uh, into the, into the, into the atmosphere you're trying to create. Um, yep. So I, I love that. Um, you know, we've kind of gotten into this a little bit, but one of the questions I like to ask at the end is, is if you could sort of just wave a magic wand today and and create a fully desuckified uh, work world, what would it look like? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> uh, team members would be having virtual beers and coffees and teas uh, mm. with each other yeah. uh, if they're not co-located. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd be interested in each other's lives. Mm. Uh, they would uh, share about what's going on in their life at, so that you don't have this clear line of demarcation between professional and personal. Mm -hmm. uh, they would have more loyalty to each other. They mm -hmm. will have each other's backs and they will have a lot of fun doing the work because it's incremental and it's flexible and it's uh, very responsive to business mm -hmm. needs. In other words, it's agile. Mm -hmm. Agile really helps things be more fun. Okay. I like that. Um, I, I yeah. love that. And then the other thing with leaders, uh, they realize that they exist to serve their teams. Mm. And uh, and they exist to remove barriers from mm -hmm. their teams. And uh, if they really want strong business outcomes, they're focused on the team and doing whatever they need to do to help that team enjoy their work so that they have a team of people that don't just think their work sucks. They can't wait for Monday morning. Mm. That sounds pretty, pretty desuckified to me, Joe. So I, yeah. I can't argue with any of that. Um, <laughs> the one, the, the, you know, talking about having fun and play, you know, one of the things I've also been asking people here at the end is um, I, I've, I've been very drawn to sound effects as I'm playing with this world of podcasting and audio and yeah. sound. And I create some of my own goofy sounds and cat sounds because I'm a cat person. And so yeah. I've been asking everybody if you can contribute one sound to my growing desuckified sound effect library you know do you have anything that you've kind of got a go-to goofy silly sound or or thing you you like to sing or say that that could maybe uh contribute to this fun little library we're building well it's funny you should mention tj because yeah. i happen to have something like that okay. it is actually um a one-man chorus in um it's an etude in d flat uh, mm. I'm Very kidding. fancy. It's not, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I was in a, uh, I was uh, facilitating a training session uh, years ago, uh, and there were a lot of people on the call, and um, the other facilitator all of a sudden was having technical issues and couldn't join. It was a virtual mm -hmm. class, mm -hmm. and so someone said, "Well, geez, what are we going to do here?" And then for a while, people were telling dorky bad jokes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes dad jokes, and yeah. everybody knows that the difference between a bad joke and a dad joke is apparent. Uh, <laughs> but um someone then said hey let's lay down um let's lay down a beat and then we'll just kind of you know add to it mm -hmm. like everybody's like okay sure so so here's what happened okay and i added a little bit on the end okay but it's basically just repeating cats and boots you're a cat person so you I, get this yeah but you basically say Cats and boots and 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 see it's you're laying down a beat and then I would just add bow waka waka bow bow. Getting the baseline in there. Yeah, that's really fun. I think I'm definitely going to capture that one and and find us home for it in 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 one of these intros coming up here, Joe. I, I know we could probably talk about this for another hour, but I, I, I want to wrap it up. And the only thing I want to cover before we we say goodbye to everybody is um, where can people find you? Do you have, you know, you know, whether it's social media, LinkedIn, or if you've got any kind of websites or anything like that, what's the easiest way to find out what Joe Palm is doing these days? Okay, well, I'm constructing a website right now. Okay. And um, 
I am taking a, people can send me their email if they want me to let them know when it's available and they can start rocking it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just uh, Joe at practicalservantleadership.com. Nice. Nice. Okay? nice. And, yeah. And, um, and also, um, if they want, I can send them uh, a, a, a sneak peek of the introduction to my new book. Oh, cool. And then uh, I'll, I'll give them a link also at some point so that they can pre-order it if they'd like. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I think I've I think also a lot created of... a, a group on LinkedIn called Practical Servant Leadership. Oh, nice. And um, I can send in the link to that as well. They can join me there. There's already a conversation going. Cool. Well, I, I think I can definitely uh, guarantee that some people will be interested in that. And I'll also yeah. try to include that information if I've got any notes to go along with the podcast on, on various sites so people can easily access your contact info. Joe, this has been a wonderful conversation. I'm I am, I'm serious, like I'm really drawn to this notion of practical servant leadership and, and the ways you made it super accessible, um, just make it seem like, why wouldn't I try this? And and I I thank you for that. All right, Joe. Thank you, TJ. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks everyone for listening to the Desuckify Work podcast. And thanks to Joe for being an enlightening and entertaining guest. You can follow Joe on LinkedIn and join his LinkedIn group, Practical Servant Leadership. Joe is an incredibly gracious person and has a lot to share with the world. I'm going to add some stuff in the show notes so you can check it all out. I'll leave you with a couple of his favorite quotes. A culture is determined by the worst behavior a leader will tolerate. That's from Rick Lochner. Never eat more than you can lift. That's from Miss Piggy. Lots of wisdom right there. Enjoy it. Bye, everyone.